0: invite you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, Exodus 3, it's on page 46 of your pew Bible or right there in your bulletin, if you'd like to follow along there. I think we could really say this morning that this is the divine commission part 2. Uh, this is still part of that mountaintop experience for Moses, and uh, the Lord is speaking to him from this bush, a bush that does not burn up, uh, something quite unusual any day, but certainly uh, to Moses, and he's just been called, he's just been commanded um, by the Lord to lead the people of Israel uh, out of Egypt, Uh, certainly a a promotion and shepherding that Moses was not anticipating uh, in any way. Uh, But in the rest of this chapter, we're going to pick up some more of his attitude, uh, really the Lord's mercy uh, in responding to Uh, to Moses, just a real tenderness here from the Lord. I'm going to read verse 10 again, and then we'll go through the end of the chapter. The Lord says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people of people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing." You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. A lot of detail here, what this uh, exodus will look like uh, for God's people. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for this word. It is a word that we need, a word that we long for, that you use to, to teach us, to encourage us, to refresh our hearts in the gospel. The glorious truth of who you are and what you have done and continue to do for your people. Uh, Lord, I confess it's easy to stand up here this morning and say, I have a word, listen. (laughs) But this word comes from you, Lord. It is your word to us. So use a very broken vessel, twisted staff, Speak to your people. Make us attentive now. Guide us by your Spirit. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. In uh, downtown Grand Rapids, which is the closest city to where I grew up, uh, we have the Gerald R. Ford Museum right off the highway downtown. And as you go to the museum, you'll see a bust or a a sculpture of Gerald Ford. And and there's a very powerful uh, quote. Uh, underneath, uh, underneath this sculpture, kind of really capturing um, his time in office, or when he initially took office. Now, I was not alive when this happened. Some of you were, were present and, and are able to recount these things, but President Nixon had just resigned after the Watergate uh, scandal, and it really left the American people in a state of um, ill will, uh, not, not very confident, Uh, in the government at this point. And so, Gerald R. Ford is the first unelected President of the United States. And uh, and he just had a whole host of of issues in front of him that he faced. The the unemployment rate, the energy crisis, um, high inflation, all those things. Uh, He was well-liked. He was very firm in his convictions. Um, And uh, he even had a philosophy of of, uh, fiscal conservatism which I think might put you in jail if you talk about fiscal conservatism nowadays, but um, I just did, so there it is. Um, but he was a leader like, like very few we've seen in this office at a critical time uh, in this nation's history. Um, more than qualified to serve in the office. More than qualified to make the decisions uh, that were necessary. But he was also keenly aware of his own inability to do this. Um, keenly aware of the weight of responsibility uh, that was on him. So at a swearing-in ceremony, this is a quote that's underneath that sculpture at the museum. It says, I am acutely aware that you have not elected me as your president with your ballots. And so I ask you to confirm me as your president with your prayers. I have not campaigned for either the presidency or the vice presidency. I am indebted to no man and only to one woman, my dear wife. As I begin this very difficult job. So, no doubt in Jerry Ford's mind that he had some doubt, uh, that there was some some fear upon taking this position, uh, that he really was the guy uh, for this job. Uh, And what do you do? What do What do you say when a nation in crisis calls your name? As we look at Exodus 3 here this morning, we might ask what do you say when the lord calls your name when he turns to you personally and says i, I want you i have appointed you for this task and i expect that we would respond you know, much like moses you thinking like he was you know wait a minute this this may be an honor but let's let's talk about this some more um, so we're going to look at, at two questions that moses asks of the lord following this Uh, Commission See how the Lord responds here. Um, Moses immediately responds to the Lord's call with this question, Who am I? He's already said, Here I am. You've got my attention. Now, who am I? That I should be the one to go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out out of Egypt. Moses really does not see himself as the guy for this mission. He's going to go into more detail on that and be a little more adamant about that. Um, in the weeks to come here. Um, But here's a question. It's an appropriate question, I think, for for someone who has a sense of what the Lord is asking. Um, This is a great task. This is an overwhelming responsibility that the Lord is entrusting to him. Is he really the guy for this? Um, Remember the circumstances here. The last time that That Moses was in Egypt. Yeah, it was 40 years ago. But it was not a happy exit. He's a hunted man by the Egyptians. He's well out of favor with the Hebrew people. He's been well trained over the years. He's had classroom training in Egypt. He's had on-the-job training now in Midian. The Lord has prepared him for this, to be in this servant role. But that's not what he's seeing. There's doubt for Moses. A real doubt behind the question. But there's also a humility behind the question uh, that I want us to see here. He knows it's a great task and his question seems to submit to this. Lord, I am insufficient for this call. I I don't think I'm the shepherd you're looking for here. And and even if I was, this is is way beyond me. So there's a posture of of humility that recognizes just how important this, uh, this job is uh, coming from the Lord. Uh, so I think he's doubting his ability, but he also does not consider himself worthy of the call. Um, so last week we ordained a couple of men to the gospel ministry at our presbytery meeting, and we welcomed a few more under the care of the presbytery. And so we ask these these uh, gentlemen to share their testimony and their sense of call uh, to serve uh, in the church in this way. And I think as, as we listen to their, their testimonies and to their answers, what is a really listening for is a posture of humility and teachability. You know, did, did they think they're the next best thing for the church and they're just going to you know, unleash their training on the unsuspecting members of the church? Um, or do we hear, who am I that the Lord would, would call me to serve in this way? When God calls His chosen people, when, when He calls those in this church, those like you and me, to minister in His name, do we really consider ourselves worthy of the call? And you know, When we get this, this sense of a call, whether it's through prayer or the, the counsel of others, you know, the, the working of the Spirit... Do we approach the task with an air of, of pride and self-sufficiency, saying, yeah, I'm the man. I can do this. I've been prepared. Um, or with a posture of humility. Who, who am I that the Lord would use me in this conversation? Who am I that the Lord would use me in this situation? Who am I? The Lord may be teaching me. He, You may be working on me more than anyone else in this situation. The Lord responds. He teaches teaches Moses, teaches us through his answer to Moses. He says, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Now notice what the Lord does not say to Moses. He doesn't say, Moses, you're the man. You can do it. Look how I've prepared prepared you for this. I'm preparing the people. You've got all the tools you need to lead this people. No, he he doesn't do this. He's not building up Moses' trust in Moses. He's building his trust uh, in the Lord. Really, you you can render this in the present or the future. I will be with you as I am in this very moment, and I will be with you in the future as you carry out this call. So it seems so simple, but it's an incredibly powerful answer to Moses. Who am I? And what the Lord says is, Moses, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I will be with you. You may or may not have the qualifications. You may, may or may not have all the tools. You may or may not know how this is going to play out. But the Lord is present. See, the Exodus is not going to depend on Moses' ability in any way. His competence, it's going, to, it's going to be the very presence of God that sees this through. It's a powerful promise. The Lord attaches a sign right to this promise. The people would serve the Lord, they would worship right at the very mountain that Moses is standing on. It's just a fitting sign for God's presence because it's also a promise. You know, in. If this is the sign, if, if this is the promise, then it's as if Moses is already back at the mountain with the people and worshiping. Oh. That's how confident he can be in the Lord's presence. Now, this is going to require something of Moses. He's going to have to move forward in faith and trust. He'll need to obey and trust the Lord to do what he says he's going to do. Oh. So the very success of the mission... Was the sign? We have a sign. We have a sign of mission success, don't we? But we've got an empty cross, an empty tomb. The Lord Jesus reigns at the Father's right hand. At this very moment, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. So Moses would—he would later tell the people in Deuteronomy 31. That the Lord their God will never leave them or forsake them. Jesus leaves his disciples. He says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So what we need to hear this morning is that God is present. And that it really does make precious little difference. What our abilities may be when God is present. He will accomplish his purposes. The fact that that you and I are sitting here this morning in worship, here on Mount Sherwood, clear testimony to us of the success of the mission. He's with us. He goes before us every moment of every day. We can trust Him for this. As the plan unfolds, it may take us through some pretty scary and undesirable situations. And we don't know what the week holds. We don't know what the drive home will hold. We can be confident of His presence. Um, Maybe you need to pray like I do. Lord, I believe this. I believe, help my unbelief in Your presence right now. Help my unbelief in Your presence as I go about this everyday task again. Or this conversation, or this appointment, or this hard discipline. Help me to believe in Your presence. It should be a comfort to God's people at all times, at all places. And the Lord's next answer here, it only reiterates this. Uh, It's a difficult uh, answer for us to understand, but it satisfies Moses' somewhat audacious question. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, you go, if? What do you mean if? Moses, this is is a command, this is not a, a coin toss. If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they asked me what is his name, what shall I say to them? I learned that an important tool of etiquette, which started in the 18th century in Europe, uh, were these little uh, cards, uh, and they they called them visiting cards, or calling cards, and usually it just had a single name uh, on the card, or in in a symbol, or a design from the family, and these cards were given out if As as an indication that it was safe to to come visit. And and if a card was returned, well, then that was an indicator that it was okay to visit this family. If a card was not returned or a visiting card was put in an envelope, then it was better to stay away. Um, That was what was introduced here, uh, 18th century in in Europe. Um, Now, that long after Moses and the conversation here, that's essentially what he's asking. Can I have your calling card? You know, the one with just the name on it? That I can, I can give to the people of Israel? Maybe then they'll believe that I actually actually talked to you. That you've invited me to, to join them. Who are you? It may seem like a silly question to us, and in some degree it was. But there's there's also some some justification for it. The the, the people of Israel again consider where they're living, what they've been exposed to. This is a very pantheistic culture. Uh, There are gods everywhere. Everything was a god, and so you know, having even though uh, you know names of God, they they've heard these names, these titles in the past. God Most High, God Almighty, the God who sees. It's possible that the knowledge of the one true God has just sort of faded into the background. They've really lost touch with who God is. So, so if that's true, then Moses would be coming with a little theological refresher in this name. Now, it's also you know, possible that the people were very familiar with the name. You know, we, it's not the first time we've, we've come across this name that uh, is given to God, Genesis 4, Genesis 12... They knew the covenant name. They've been, they've been praying. They've been crying out to this God. And if that's the case, then Moses is going to have to be specific. Names were important. They would tell about the experience, the character, the heritage. What would be on God's calling card? So God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This has been notoriously difficult for the church to Um, translate, communicate through the years. Because we expect a name to be a proper noun, right? That's not what we have here. We have a verb, a Hebrew verb that's given uh, to Moses. And uh, it's closely connected to what we've already read here in verse 12, where the Lord says, I will be with you. And I want us to try and hear the distinction in the language to make sense of this. Um, Or at least, you know, the best we can. In verse 12, the Lord says, "I will be." Aa." Aa." And then in verse 14, he uses the same verb in reference to Himself. So when God shares His name, He says, "Aa, I am." or "I will be." And when His people then refer to Him, they say, "He is," or "He will be." This is what we find in verse 15, where it shows that capital L-O-R-D, the capital Lord. And we, we don't have time to go into all the, the history of this translation, but all it is is four consonants in the Hebrew, yod He vah Now, how do you say something that doesn't have any vowels? It's just four consonants. Well, start, start saying it fast. yod He vah heh yod yod he, vah What does that sound like? Yahweh, right? Starts to sound like this. So God says, AA, I am, and we say, Yahweh, he is. He is now, he will be in the future. He is unchanging. The very nature of God, who he is, it's inseparable from what God does. So if this name is going to be familiar to the people, if they're going to know this God, then they know his, his acts. We need to know His his faithfulness to those who have gone before. That's what we read. We read three times in this commission. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the Creator. This is the self-existent God who sees and hears and remembers. This is the God of Israel. The one they've been praying to. The one they are to worship. This is the one. He is Lord of all. He doesn't make things up as He goes. He doesn't change His mind as as circumstances develop. The prophet Isaiah tells us, remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So he's been watching. He's present. And the very The very awareness of God is the surety of his action. The assurance of it. His awareness is assurance. Um, The God of the patriarchs has now said, I am the God of Moses. Here's what I will do. Think, Think what a comfort this would be for Moses after receiving this type of call. The Lord doesn't scold him. Moses, what a dumb question. No, he answers with the assurance of his very name. Oh, what a comfort, and what a comfort to us to know that he is. Uh, there's been a really a, a devastating case of abuse that surfaced uh, within the U.S. gymnastics community. You've probably heard about this, seen this. Uh, young girls, young as, as six years old, in their teenage years, abused by a doctor that they really have grown to trust. Um, Many of them have testified. One in particular has gotten a lot of attention. Um, Rachel Denhollander is her name. She's trained as a lawyer, but she's also a follower of Christ. And her testimony is extremely powerful. You can hear it, read it uh, in various places if you'd like. But she doesn't minimize the, the guilt and the severity of sin. Uh, and she, can, she faces her abuser in the courtroom and shares the only place that he can turn. And I want to read you just a portion of this. She says, The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you've done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Throughout this process, I've clung to a quote by C.S. Lewis. It says, My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. How did I get this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he first has some idea of straight." What was I comparing the universe to when I called it unjust? I can call what you did evil and wicked because it was. And I know it was evil and wicked because the straight line exists. The straight line is not measured based on your perception or anyone else's perception. And this means I can speak the truth about my abuse without minimization or mitigation. And I can call it evil because I know what goodness is. And this is why I pity you. Because when a person loses the ability to define good and evil, when they cannot define evil, they can no longer define and enjoy what is truly good. You know, how could she say that? How could she call sin, sin, and yet extend forgiveness in the wake of, of such abuse? You know, Ra- Rachel can only say that because he is She knows the One who is truly good and beautiful. The One by whom all truth and goodness and purity and justice is measured. And so she can take comfort in the the perfect justice and love of God. The justice and love that collide at the cross and then extend the forgiveness that has been extended to her. Because He is will always be. Is that a comfort for you today? Do you question His goodness, His faithfulness, His care? Even under the weight of your own sin or sin against you? There is forgiveness. There is healing. There is comfort. Look to the One who is and always will be. So He'll bring His people out of Egypt. He'll deliver. Because he is their God, the deliverer, the great I am, would take on flesh to rescue his people, to rescue once and for all. In John's gospel, we hear Jesus describing himself with this language I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the vine, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life. How could this man, this Jesus, this one man, be all of these things? So for those with ears to hear, he answers that question. The Jews are accusing him of having a demon. Lord, everybody dies. Abraham died. You, you're not even 50 years old. How could you see Abraham? In John 8, verse 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Aa, I am. He is in the flesh. The eternal, self-existing God. God says again to to John, Revelation 1, I am the Alpha and the Omega, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. This is Christ. This is our Deliverer. The very sign of that deliverance, of our salvation, is that that Christ lives. He's, He's brought us back to worship now and forever. Not not a physical mountain, not a temple made with human hands, but in the heavenly courts of our God. So Moses could take great comfort in the name of God. You just briefly here, there's a message for both Israel and Egypt that came with this to Israel, "I've been watching. I will bring you up out of your affliction. And then to Egypt, the Lord has met with us. Let us go that we might sacrifice, worship the Lord. In the wilderness. And so this message coming from the Lord through Moses and the elders, um, simply it was a message we're, we're leaving. We're, we're taking our possessions with us, no longer living under the rule of Pharaoh, but under the rule of, of another king. So we go back to the answer that God gives to Moses back at 13 and 14. It actually was the customary formula of the time. Any proclamation that a king would make to start with, I am. You know, I am Misha of Moab, I am, I am Ishtar, I am Azita. So in this, the Lord is communicating that he is king. Not just any king, the king of the universe. He's an all powerful king. Verse 20 no human, no human is going to be effective in swaying Pharaoh. This so will take the mighty hand of God to strike down the Egyptians. So we have a preview here. We'll get all the, the details of how he does this in the chapters to come. But all, he's also the personal covenant-keeping king of Israel. He's not only going to fight for them, he provides for them. Provides in very practical ways. The Egyptians will be willing to turn over their valuables and clothing Yahweh has the plan. He knows what they're going to need. He knows the sons and daughters are going to be in the wilderness and will need clothing. It was true in ancient Near Eastern families. True mostly today. You know Who are the ones keeping track of the clothing in the house and the jewelry? It ain't me, fellas. I'm just hopefully sort of coordinated as I stand up here. That's not my doing. It's typically the women in the house that have tabs on those things. God would provide for this, bringing out there'd be bounty to this liberation from Egypt. Um, It's going to be much longer than a three-day, you know, conference, a three-day retreat in the wilderness. Um, Verse eighteen here, the elders are not lying to Pharaoh uh, when they say this. Let us take three days off uh, here to sacrifice. They're communicating indirectly. We are leaving. We're going to leave Egypt for good. Um, And we we communicate like this indirectly. You know, John, have you got a second? Well, what have I just asked? I say, does he have an indefinite amount of time? I've got something to share. Or, it's uh, another one? Oh. Pass the remote. Do we do that anymore? We don't really pass remotes. We just grab them. But um, what, what, am I, what am I saying? Well, I'm, I'm going to you know, take control of what it is we watch for who knows how long. So we communicate this, these things indirectly. So it seems that what, what, fear, what Pharaoh feared originally following the death of, of Jacob's offspring, that's, that's actually what they're asking. You know, to leave with all their possessions, to establish a national identity with the Lord as their king. The all-powerful, promise-keeping king of Israel. And brothers and sisters, we have an all-powerful king. An all-powerful king who never forgets or breaks his promises. And all of this instruction that's been given to Moses, it's all grounded in history, in his actions in the past. You can read Genesis 15 as a refresher here. He's fulfilling his covenant promises. That's part of his name, who he is. Later, Moses is going to share that he understood this answer in Exodus 15. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise Him. My Father's God and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is His name. So the rest of the Exodus story is going to talk about how the Lord lives up to uh, this name. The greatest display of who God is, the greatest show of strength and power is in the death and resurrection of His Son. Powerful enough to conquer sin and death. Powerful enough to change the most deceived and twisted heart. Jesus, the great I Am, the name that is above all other names, is the one that we adore, the one that we worship. So let's go before the throne in His name right now. Lord, we do praise You that You have redeemed us. You, the great I Am. Lord, we pray that as we go from this place that we would be confident resting in Your presence with us. For You are the one who is and will always be. You've shown us definitively that You work, that You fight for Your people. So, Lord, it's not in our own strength that we go into this day and into this week. It's in reliance and trust in your presence with us, the victory that is ours in Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.